When we think of castles or monarchies of old in general, often one of the first things that will pop up in our minds are the many ghost stories associated with them. We think of wispy women gracefully floating through the grounds at nightfall. We think of armor-clad footsteps echoing through stairwells, disembodied voices engaged in impassioned pleas for mercy, or the silhouettes of kings still making their castle rounds. Many castles of old still have a strong presence about them. When looked upon, they seem to resonate with an energy all of their own, and they stir within us a mixture of wonder, reverence, and melancholy. Though many like to romanticize what life was like behind those seemingly impenetrable stone walls, castle life was often a lonely and dangerous affair. It was a place where ambition prevailed over loyalty, where jealousy triggered rage, and where power and the unquenchable thirst for more it created led to bloodshed. Though these towering stone monoliths were constructed to protect, behind those walls, inside of the royal court, nobody was ever truly safe. Those who lavished in this lifestyle did so at a cost. There was always danger lurking about. There were threats lurking in every corner and crevice, waiting for the perfect moment to carry out their ill will. Kings and queens existed with an ever-present paranoia, always wondering not if, but when, they would have a betrayal in the royal court. Power can be a dangerous thing and has led to the ruin of many who have tasted its fruits. It seems that once a person has had a taste, they are always hungry for more. Power can become an obsession, not only for the acquisition of more, but it also brings about an obsessive fear of losing it. That fear and the paranoia it brings brings about a madness which often leads to bloodshed. Kings have murdered their queens over paranoia-inspired delusions. And even members of the royal court have fallen prey to the madness of power. In the royal court, it was all about gaining influence and fighting for any scraps of power that happened to come their way. Many did whatever they could do to not only keep their current positions of influence, but to ensure that any blockages for further gain would be removed. Within those romanticized castle grounds, powerful emotions were always at play. There was betrayal, heartbreak, anguish, fear, jealousy, loneliness, longing, rage, and hatred. 
emotions which always, in one way or another, seemed to lead to death. For a structure that was meant to offer protection to those dwelling within, there was always a shocking amount of blood spilt behind those stone walls. Every long-standing castle has probably had dozens, if not hundreds, of murders inside. Murders of passion and acts of betrayal. The energies of the trauma and all of the emotions which they contained seem to have etched themselves into those cold stone walls and in a sense, become a very part of the building itself. Pent up energy with nowhere to go, stuck in a cycle, replaying the past over and over. It's no surprise that every castle seems to have its own ghost. And every castle seems to boast its own chilling or sorrowful tale to go along with it. When thinking of haunted castles, we almost always think of female ghosts. In truth, most of the popularized castle hauntings are that of female ghosts. Perhaps these ghosts come off as more tragic, or perhaps it's because there's a sense of elegance about those thin-waisted, wispy silhouettes which wander to and fro, searching for life and love lost. It brings to mind images of star-crossed lovers, of betrayal, and of beheadings. We think of toppled queens gracefully marching towards the premise of their execution. We see them in our mind's eye, silently putting their heads on the chopping block, their eyes narrowed and lips pursed in an almost elegant defiance. We see the strength and the vulnerability and her seemingly brave acceptance of death. She comes to it willingly, and we all silently wonder what that must have been like. What thoughts went through her head as she swept her hair away from her neck, readying for the axe? What were those final moments like for her? Perhaps one of the most famous haunted castles with such a story is that of the White Tower, known by most as the infamous Tower of London. The Tower of London is a structure full of stories. It is one of England's oldest constructions of the type. And since its inception, it has been used for a variety of purposes. It has served as a palace, a vault for the crown jewels, and most notably, and perhaps most notoriously, it has served as a prison. It's the latter part of the building's history that attracts most of the attention and most of the ghosts. The Tower of London most specifically 
served as a prison and execution site for royal class fugitives. For those imprisoned here, the Tower of London was a place of misery. Some who were sent there were upsurped during rebellions or political coups. Robbed of their elegant lifestyle and their royal dignity, the inhabitants of the tower remained locked away within its walls until they would be robbed a final time, this time of their life, in a most gruesome manner. Often they sat alone, locked away from any sympathizing soul, left to wonder which day would be their last. One can only imagine the crippling fear and depression, and even if they had undeniably deserved their sentence, it's still hard not to empathize with that pain of uncertainty that they spent dwelling in day after day until their execution. Anne Boleyn was one of those fallen royals who spent her final days just as this. Anne's time as queen was fairly short-lived, but during that time, she had certainly made a name for herself. She used her wit and charm to gain the favor and hand of King Henry VIII. At first, the king had only intended to have Anne as his mistress. But Anne was a clever and ambitious woman, and for her, this simply would not do. Anne desired to be queen, and she ignored the king's affections until he asked for her hand. And while that has all the makings of a nice little love story, you have to remember, this is the royal court we're talking about, and there was always more at play than meets the eye. While the king was courting Anne, he was already married to Catherine of Aragon. However, Catherine had grown out of favor. The king found her dull and especially despised her for her seeming inability to produce a male heir. He soon sought to have the marriage annulled by the Catholic Church so that he could marry the charming and boisterous Anne. However, even though Henry was king, there were still certain things he lacked any power over, the Catholic Church being one of those things. Unfortunately for Henry, Catherine was the aunt of Charles V, the then Holy Roman Emperor. Now it was feared by Pope Clement VII that dissolving the marriage would anger the Holy Emperor thus jeopardizing the Pope's good standing, and most importantly, his position. This was something that he was absolutely not willing to risk. So, the Catholic Church denied the king the annulment. Insulted and enraged, King Henry VIII decided to defy the Church and marry Anne in secret. After the wedding, he then publicly announced his departure from the Catholic Church. Anne 
was soon declared queen, and eight months later gave birth to their first child, the future Queen Elizabeth I. It was also during this time that the Act of Supremacy was passed. This act made the king, Henry VIII, the supreme head of the Church of England, thus giving him full control of all holy matters, you know, just in case he ever needed another annulment. Unfortunately for Anne, this would be the case all too soon. In 1536, Anne gave birth to a stillborn son, which Henry VIII viewed as an act of betrayal on her part. After only three years of marriage, Anne had fallen out of favor and out of the king's good graces. A few short months afterwards, Anne was being replaced. King Henry VIII wished to marry another. However, this time, there would be no annulment. The king had something else in store for poor Anne. To gain more empathy from the public and more acceptance for the new soon-to-be queen, the king launched a campaign against Anne. His goal was to demonize her in the eyes of the public. And what better way to do that than to convince them that Anne was a witch? For Anne, this plan wasn't very difficult to carry out. Anne wasn't like other women of the time. Anne was brilliant, and she wasn't afraid to show it. Anne had an exceptional love for learning, and she was always reading. A trait which was considered a bit uncouth for women at the time. Anne was also incredibly witty boisterous. She was unafraid to look men in the eyes and let them know exactly what she thought. The very qualities which attracted the king to her would soon be used by the king to warrant her disposal. Rumors were soon spread across the mostly illiterate court about how these books that Anne was always reading were books of spells. Now, unfortunately for Anne, this was easy for them to accept. You see, Anne was a bit of a superstitious lady, and it's also claimed that she did have an interest in things like astrology, and it's said that she studied the works of Merlin. Anne was eventually accused of witchcraft, and it was claimed publicly that the king had been a victim. He had been put under an enchantment and forced to marry her. She was accused of betraying the king by this manner and that she was at fault for the death of the royal baby as it was a punishment from God for her witchcraft. On May 2nd of 1536, Anne was arrested 
and locked away in the Tower of London. She was put on trial, where the king dramatically confessed to all those in attendance how he had been seduced by witchcraft. He told the crowd how he had felt as though he was a prisoner in his own body, as another force took over and forced him to marry the queen. He claimed that the spell had only recently broken with the death of their infant son. Other charges were brought up against her as well, which included adultery and incest. Needless to say, Anne was powerless to speak against these claims. It was her word against the king's. And she knew it was a battle that she could not win. In the end, on May 15th of 1536, Anne Boylan was convicted of witchcraft. A conviction that had only one possible sentence. Death. Anne was shackled and taken back to the tower, where she spent her final four days, not in a dingy cell, as most believe, but in the comforts of a royal apartment within the tower, the very same apartment she used when she was waiting to be confirmed queen. She was also not alone. She spent her final hours in the company of her ladies-in-waiting, Now, with this sentence hanging above her head, you would think that Anne would probably be in some very low spirits. But the fact is, Anne spent most of her time joking around and trying to comfort her ladies-in-waiting. She would make jokes about how she felt sorry for the executioner trying to chop off her head with that tiny little neck of hers. Anne had seemed to have made her peace about her fate and she did not once give in to self-pity or woe. Many say that's a demonstration of the strength of Anne, while others think that perhaps she was in denial and she was waiting for a pardon to happen at any moment. On May 19th, Anne Boleyn was taken out of her quarters and led down to the site of her execution. With heart racing, she shakingly knelt down, gave a final speech to the crowd, as was protocol, and muttered a prayer. The executioner raised the sword, a method which was chosen by Anne, and swung down. It was a clean cut, and legend has it that Anne's head was said to have still been muttering the prayer for a number of minutes after it was chopped off. The story of Anne Boleyn is a tragic one, and it just so happens that a common element for a good ghost story is tragedy. The story of Anne is also a captivating one. She's known as one of the most influential queens in history. She helped free England from the power of the Holy Roman Emperor. Anne's story is full of all the elements that draw people into a story. It has royalty, love, betrayal, 
and murder. And as with all stories that captivate us, we don't want it to end there. We want some part of Anne to continue living on. We want more of her story. And perhaps that is why the ghost of Anne Boleyn is still one of the most famous and consistently spotted apparitions residing in the Tower of London. The first recorded account of her apparition goes back to 1817. The story goes that one of the guards who was patrolling the tower at night suffered a heart attack after encountering the ghostly figure of Anne Boleyn descending from a staircase. In 1864, another guard reported that while out on duty outside of the Queen's house, he encountered a mysterious cloaked woman dressed in Tudor fashion, slowly moving towards him. He immediately knew that something was not right, and he yelled out at the woman, demanding her to stay where she was. Instead, the figure continued moving towards him. When the woman came closer, the guard was shocked to see that she did not have a face. In fact, it seemed that underneath the hood of the cloak, there was nothing, as if her head were gone. The guard panicked. He grabbed his rifle and thrust his bayonet into the figure. However, what happened after that caused him to shriek out in both fear and pain. When he thrust the bayonet into the figure, it passed through as if the figure was a mist. Then a bright flash, similar to a bolt of lightning, ran up his rifle and shocked him. When he later reported the occurrence to his supervisors, the poor man was court-martialed for falling asleep during his watch. However, the interesting thing is, that court-martial was soon overturned. When other guards and witnesses began to come forward, sharing that they too had seen and encountered that same misty, headless figure. To this day, the wispy, headless figure believed to be that of Anne Boleyn is still spotted roaming about the courtyard. While most of the popular ghost stories surrounding castles often involve their most prestigious former inhabitants, not all of the ghosts which roam castle halls are that of royalty. Many of the female ghosts that are seen are said to be the ghosts of mistresses. Oftentimes, mistresses had a habit of disappearing from the castle grounds, often being the victims of murder. If found to be with child, jealous queens or noble women, depending on the castle owner's status, would have the mistress killed in order to secure her own children for next in line, especially if she had yet failed to produce a male heir. In 
Even an illegitimate son would often have first rights to the family name. In Scotland, the Craves Castle is said to be haunted by one such unfortunate mistress. Known as the Green Lady's Room, this particular room of the castle is home to the spirit of a young woman. She often appears wearing a long green dress and is known simply as the Lady in Green. She is often spotted standing in front of the fireplace with a baby or toddler in her arms. Sometimes her appearance seems serene, while other times the woman seems in great emotional distress. Other times, it's said that her form takes on the appearance of a luminous block of ice, which glides about on the floor as if it's pacing about. This particular apparition is said to be followed by a sharp, almost stabbing chill. While the identity of this woman may have been lost to history, it seems that her tale did indeed end in some sort of tragedy. During a castle renovation in the 1800s, the fireplace was replaced in the so-called Green Lady's Room. When the workers took apart the hearthstone, they found the bones of a toddler-aged child underneath. The bones supposedly had the telltale signs of foul play. While the remains of the woman have yet to be uncovered, the fact that she is often seen cradling a baby looking distraught lends a lot to the story and why the ghost still haunts that particular room. Of course, not all castle-dwelling ghosts or former residents were female. Take, for instance, the Musham Castle in Austria, also known as the Witch's Castle. Located just outside of Salzburg, the Musham Castle played a role in the torture and deaths of hundreds of average citizens. While most now associate the town with Mozart or the sound of music, in the late 1600s, Salzburg believed itself to be a spiritual battlefield. You see, starting in 1675, the town was suddenly overwhelmed by disease and plague, an act which many believe to be caused by witchcraft. But since disease doesn't discriminate, it appeared to the townspeople that nobody was safe from the misfortunes brought on by these surly witches. Guided by the works of the Malus Maleficarium, or the Witch's Hammer, the residents of Salzburg were going through the throes of witch hunt hysteria. Hundreds of innocent people, in this case, mostly male, were accused of witchcraft and imprisoned in the dungeons of Musham Castle. 
guided by the practices listed in the witch's hammer, hundreds of innocents were brutally tortured, maimed, and killed at the castle. In fact, the torture endured by those in Musham Castle was considered to be exceptionally violent, even for that time period. Those accused of witchcraft were essentially driven to confession. They endured torture and horrific mutilations until they could bear it no longer and confessed. This, of course, was begging for death. There was no escape once accused of witchcraft. You either confessed and died, or you died as a result of the torture imposed in order to get you to confess. Most of those who were thrown in the dungeons were beggars and homeless, as these victims were specifically targeted due to fears that they brought disease with them as they moved about. The youngest of those to be targeted, tortured, and subsequently murdered was a 10-year-old orphan boy. The torture and execution of these innocents lasted for 15 years, from 1675 until 1690. After such an event, you would think that the area would have learned its lesson and moved on from supernatural-influenced hysteria. But in the 1800s, Salzburg and Musham Castle once again found itself battling supernatural forces. This time, it wasn't witches, but werewolves. Unfortunately, the accounts of the werewolf hunts aren't as detailed as the witch hunts, so it's difficult to find reliable sources as far as the exact dates which this occurred. But most seem to be in agreement that at some time in the early to mid-1800s, cattle began showing up at the castle dead or mutilated. A few locals at the time reported seeing a large wolf-like creature, and it was determined by the townsfolk that this must be the work of werewolves. So once again, the small town was gripped by hysteria. The only problem with the werewolf hunt was that there wasn't a manual to turn to in order to figure out how to identify which ones of them were the culprits. Still, the town was gripped by the frenzy of hysteria, and rumors spread on who the werewolves really were. So basically, if you were different in any way, shape, or form, you were probably going to be the werewolf. Soon, people were being rounded up, thrown in the dungeons, and just like in the late 1600s, brutally tortured, mutilated, and killed. Now eventually, the cattle stopped dying around the castle, and the townsfolk felt as though the werewolves had been properly disposed of. 
and the werewolf hunts fizzled out and ended. With all the suffering and death that went on within the castle walls during these times, it's no doubt that Mushum Castle is touted as being one of the most haunted castles in Europe. It's said that the spirits of those tortured and held in the dungeons still remain. It's said that at nightfall, you can still hear the wails and sounds of those who were tortured so long ago. On certain nights, it's said that you can even hear the guttural growls of the werewolves. Castles are the perfect backdrop for our imaginations. During the daylight, they inspire imagery of kings, queens, brave knights. They make us think of every fantasy element. But at night, there's something more chilling about a castle. It's no longer a friendly place where magical things can happen. Suddenly, it transforms from something we have romanticized into a darker place, a place full of ghosts. In truth, a castle during its heyday was probably a much darker place than we may have realized. Behind those walls were luxury, laughter, and fancy gatherings. But there was also madness, betrayal, and murder. I want to thank you for listening to this episode and hope you enjoyed hearing some spooky castle history. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to check out our website, nighttideradio.com. That's N-I-G-H-T-T-I-D-E radio.com. Here you can listen to past episodes, sign up for our newsletter, or reach out and say hi. I like it when people say hi. You can also find us on Spotify, iTunes, and any of your favorite podcasty type places. Until next time, I'm Stacy, and this is Night Tide.